who should be taking that path. And maybe they're hearing this here for the first time or because it's become more mainstream, they're like, I want to jump on that. Because you view it as such a sacrament. And when we're talking about something sacred that has divinity, you know, I guess let's explain that because I feel like there's such a reverence there versus those doing it for biohacking purposes. Hello there, loves. Welcome to another episode of The Brave Table. I'm your host, Dr. Nita, and this is your episode. This is your oasis. This is your destination to be all things just a little bit more brave in your actions, in your life, and in your relationships. And today, this has been an episode that I have been waiting for, and you guys are going to be so blown away. But first, I have a question to ask you. Have you ever thought about doing a plant medicine journey? Or what are your thoughts about psychedelics and plant medicine? Is it for anybody? Is it for everybody? What have you heard about it? Well, in this episode today, we are breaking it down and we are braving the unknown. We are braving the difficult conversations and the hard conversations in the industry of plant medicine, in the industry of psychedelics. And I am so grateful to bring in one of my now dear friends. He has become a mentor. He has become just a super genuine human and very thoughtful in not only his own process and what he's been able to build coming from the conventional world and going into the unconventional and having a background as a child of immigrants, which is why I resonate with him so well that he has completely let go of that lifestyle and literally built a full sanctuary, an oasis, a church outside of Boulder in Colorado to create transformational experiences with so much depth, so much reverence, so much thought in a 6,000 square foot environment where it has now brought some of the greatest pioneers, leaders, facilitators, and teachers, global educators from around the world, from all across different industries, from Fortune 100 to the tech industries to folks who are now starting to change the conversation around making psychedelics and plant medicine therapies mainstream. His name is Austin Mao, and he has led several of these expansive retreats and journeys. And he is somebody that I think is so brilliant and such a pioneer when it comes to making this mainstream. And I know that, as you know, psychedelics has played such a huge role in my life and not just as a healing tool, but also a gateway, a portal to connect with my ancestors, connect to connect with my parents, to connect with folks who have crossed over on the other side, and also to see my greatest vision for myself, as well as tapping into deeper layers of releasing and healing. And we get into this week's episode around who should be doing it, who should not be doing it, what is wrong with the industry today. And if you are and have been looking into this kind of work for yourself, when to use it as a healing tool and when to actually use traditional modes of therapy like talk therapy, behavioral therapy, somatic therapy, dance therapy first versus going through something sacred like this and what else is involved and who to actually sit with if you were going to sit in this sort of ceremony and so, so much more. I think you're going to find this episode so healing, so informative, and probably one that you will save or even share with a friend. You're going to get so much out of this and more. So without further ado, let's bring on Austin Mao to The Brave Table this week. 
All right, fam. It is official. We are officially in the summer season. And that means for you, our That Suck Now What shop is open. And we have limited edition merch, which means that we only have 100 pieces of the That Suck Now What hats that can be yours. And with every purchase, you get a free copy of our best-selling and four-time award-winning book, That Suck Now What. Give it to a friend, give it to a bestie. And why not represent your That Suck Now What swag at the birthday parties, at barbecues, at your beach vacay. And we have something for everyone. Conversation cards, journals, affirmation cards, and more. The perfect merch and items for your getaway is here now. So go ahead and visit thatsucknowwhat.com forward slash shop. And be sure to use the code BRAVE so that it unlocks your self-care calendar. Enjoy. And now back to the show. Austin, welcome to the Brave Table. I'm so excited to be here. So, what are you braving currently? (laughs) (laughs) The million-dollar question. It's the million-dollar question, right? So much in so many aspects of my life, from relationship to my vocation to my spirituality. Yeah. And I think that the source of all that bravery comes from the same place, Mm. which is a devotion to values that I feel internally as a felt sense, Mm. as a codification of who I am. So I want to start this out because your energy is so calming (laughs) and you have this, you know, I feel like you have this playfulness because I know you personally now and we've hung out a little bit, Mm -hmm. but I feel like I want to tune back into the first time that I met you when you actually recited a poem for one of our friends' big book launches. And that's when I kind of sat in your energy and I was like, oh my gosh, who is this? Who's this guy that's like really calming all of our nervous systems collectively all at once, Hmm. where there was like a thousand people in the room. Hmm. So let's start there. Has that always been your persona or how and where did you cultivate that? And how were you before that? Wow, that's not been my persona at all before. Mm. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for, for even asking that question. It's really bringing into my own system an awareness of how much I've grown and changed even in the past few months. So the poem that I recited is called Thank You. And I wrote that poem about three years ago during my third ayahuasca mm. journey. And I bring that up because this is really the starting point of who I am today. And previous to that, you know, I was a serial entrepreneur, tech companies and real estate and whatnot, and filled with a pridefulness around what I've created, the things that I had, you know, that I owned, the possessions, my Instagram life, etc. And after that, just really started on a path of tuning into who the essence of me and living that essence and conveying that essence of me through clarity and purity. So the poem, Thank You, which is very meaningful to me, I wrote because the previous night, and I was sharing this with with Ajit recently, under ayahuasca, I discovered a repressed memory that led me to repress all memory. Mm -hmm. Like I couldn't remember my childhood. 
And even a few years or months back would be foggy and hazy. And what the medicine helped me see to relive so clearly was this traumatic incident of being sexually molested when I was four. Oh, wow. That I completely did, was unaware of. Mm. And what's crazy is like I had studied psychology. Mm-hmm. I just never thought I would be the textbook case. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, okay, back the train up a little bit. Like, <laughs> whoa, first of all, first I want to just honor you in that. I mean, that had to have been so powerful, especially if it came up during ceremony. So there's so many weaves and things that are coming up for me to really kind of go deeper into. So you said that before kind of your journey into medicine, and I'll say plant medicine and Aya, because I think that so many people kind of use psychedelics. And I just want to be super clear on the plant that we're talking about and to give it reverence. So when you were sitting in ceremony with this powerful plant medicine, before that, you just never had any childhood memories. Yeah. It was my normal, right? And it wasn't just childhood, even a few years or months back. Mm. After that experience, I woke with tears in my eyes and I shared with the facilitator, the shaman then, that I feel like I was cured of Alzheimer's. And it's because I wasn't even aware of what I was missing Mm. because that's how it was. It's like people who are colorblind, they don't know that they're colorblind. Right. They discover it by happenstance when people are trying to discern colors and pick it out for them, mm-hmm. right? And I didn't even know what I was missing in the lack of my memory. And what's interesting is that now facilitating this work, I meet so many people who are living with that normal mm-hmm. and so many people who are even afraid of discovering what might lie underneath. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So speaking of bravery, what happened for me is that revelation heralded mm-hmm the renaissance of my life. I wrote Mm. that poem and I had forgotten about writing. Mm. I hadn't written something in 16 years previous to that poem three years ago. Oh, wow. And now writing is the greatest joy in my life. Mm. I wake up inspired to write. And it's something I discovered because of the discovery of my memories. Mm. And so... I mean, when you actually, what I'd kind of like to say, the magical moment of, you know, the, of course, the suck was the the time that happened earlier on. But the elements of the other side of that is then now you were able to access other parts of you that perhaps were suppressed for whatever reason. And so what was then the integration behind then, you know, kind of healing that part of your, the little boy in you that was showing itself during that ceremony? Yeah, thank you for that question. I view all of life as a pathway, a journey into wholeness to really discover these disowned, suppressed, rejected parts of ourselves and then integrate that back into who we are so that we can feel ourselves fully, right? And so my path has been so much of that, beginning with my memories. Like, I was able to repair my relationship with my mother. I was able to have a conversation under the medicine with my father who had passed three years prior. And in in that lived experience, introducing him to my wife, which I didn't even realize was something I was really missing, 
you know? Wait, so you were able to do that through medicine. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. And it resolved something in me that, I, again, I didn't even know was missing. But once I felt it, I felt more whole. Mm. And I just went on this journey of continuously discovering and embodying more of me and more of my truth. Mm. You know, when, we're, when we grow up, like our parents tell us, don't cry. It's not right. Don't mm-hmm. be angry. Society doesn't like that. And so we grow up with this separateness mm-hmm. from our reality, from our inner truth, right? Yeah. And then we create these protective mechanisms. Like when my parents divorced when I was one, I created a protector of not giving my heart fully, mm. right? And so much of my journey has been around to take those protectors and allow them to relax, allow them to relax so that my true self underneath could shine forth. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And Brave Table Fam, how many of us have protectors (laughs) on? And what are we trying to protect ourselves from feeling, really? And the bravery in that is to kind of dig into those feelings that we, you know, so often repress. And I do want to kind of note that coming from our Asian backgrounds, I mean, I don't know about you, but definitely growing up, Asian kind of was, it was all tiger parenting (laughs) and then lots of emotional drama (laughs) because, you know, their value systems were so different. How was that for you while you were growing up? So funny enough, and I know you're just discovering this about me, I had the opposite, which was was such a gift. And meanwhile, my friends definitely had lots of, (laughs) lots of tiger parents. My mom spoiled me and Mm. would always tell me that I'm the best. She loves me so much and cares about me so much. And when I so I remember hiding my Kumon homework. Do you remember Kumon? <laughs> I didn't go to Kumon, but... <laughs> but she you, was okay with still, it. You still went to Kumon. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Note to self. So for those non-Asians who are listening <laughs> to the podcast and don't know Kumon, it's like the, the thing that every single... Kid goes to, you know, you'll go to basketball after school or volleyball or sports practice. The Asian kids did tuition or, you know, some sort of like studying after school program, math and science. And that's (laughs) Kumon or Princeton Review for me when I was like in high school. Yeah. Yeah. Same. (laughs) Same, same. Same, same. Yeah. You know, she paid for all of that. And then I didn't do the work. And then Mm -hmm. she still loved me anyways. And I'm really grateful for that. Mm. So, well, what do you say to then some of these, I think a lot of our audience comes from immigrant backgrounds and you've definitely had this like 360 because you had so much material success, so much of the outward success where there's so much of that validation and then now have really kind of utilized your gifts through psychedelics, through the medicine to really have a very different dialogue, almost releasing all of the things that you had in one life. What Hmm. advice do you have for those who perhaps maybe even struggle to feel some of those repressed feelings because of maybe a memory or a circumstance that they had in the past? Hmm. So my if I may give a sort of long-winded answer with a story. Mm-hmm. The beginning of my consciousness journey, I think, was when my father got sick. And I got to spend the last six months of his life with him, bedside in Taiwan. 
Now, we had been estranged for a long time, and I would just see him once a year. And it was partially an excuse to go to Taiwan or to Shanghai and party the, every Christmas holidays that I would go and see him. Shanghai is, uh, yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And my father loved money mm. more than more than me, more than our family. And it was such a driving force in his life because of how he grew up with scarcity. Mm. The reason why this was such a powerful experience for me is because I got to usher him into the next realm with peacefulness by helping him really grasp and live the experience of what's important, mm. which is family and love and care and experiencing the joyfulness that life has to offer. Even when he had money, he wouldn't spend it to live life. He would just hoard it, right? Now, that was before I really started using plant medicine in a, in a ceremonial, intentional way. But what that did was it grounded in me a sense of what's important. Mm. So now, fast forward to present time, as a facilitator of this work in our integration process, so after people come through our journeys and then have a transformative experience, our integration process begins with something I call the enlightened vision. Mm. which is the vision of who you are right before you pass away. If you were to pass away with great love and peace and joy in your heart, who's in the room with you? What did you create in your life? What values did you devote yourself to? What choices would you make that are different from the decisions you're making today? Because... Ramdas says, everyone achieves enlightenment in the end. It's because in that final breath, it's the final surrender, the final letting go of all the grip that we've had. Yeah. How many people are living estranged from their parents or from their kids, right? How many people are working jobs that they hate? Bravery is the courage to live life to its fullest. Mm. And that's really hard but it's worth it. It's worth it because we can pass away 50 years from now or tomorrow. And so the advice that I have is to really examine and feel who we want to be in those final moments. Oh, wow. Wow. I was just envisioning myself you know, when you were going and taking us through that process. I think that you know, for those of you listening or even watching this, that's such a profound exercise. And so this is something that you do. And now after you've taken people through the two or three day retreat. Yeah, we program. have a six week program mm -hmm. and it's a five day retreat or what we call an immersion with three psilocybin ceremonies in oh. Denver, Colorado. Oh, wow. Okay. We're going to get into, yes. we're going to get into all of that because I'm <laughs> so excited. I can't wait to talk to you about that. And I want to just kind of go back to some of the things that you said around your father, because I know that even, you know, one of the touch points that so many people and you kind of shared it where, you know, we have conflicts with our loved ones, our elderly parents many times, you know, because they didn't accept whatever we're doing or they didn't give us enough love or et cetera, right? We hold those grudges. And, you know, then you're faced with kind of 
you know, having to see your dad kind of go through the end stage of life. Mm -hmm. And how was that for you that you were able to usher him in, into that realm by doing all of this pretty much ceremony with him? How is that grieving process? There's a line in that poem that I shared. Thank you, death, for letting me hold my father's hand as I whispered, I love you on his last breath. Mm -hmm. And, you know, every time I share that, I have tears that come into my eyes like now. Mm. The time I shared with my father was so beautiful. And even holding his hand as he took his last breath was such a gift. I facilitated people that didn't have the opportunity to say goodbye. Mm. And some people even felt a lot of guilt for the way that they said their last goodbyes into their parents. And so that ceremony of being with my father for those last six months was so important because it helped me understand the value of life. Mm. You know, there's another line in that poem, this gift of life and the gift of death so that we can value our precious hours, mm -hmm. you know, so that we can enrich others so that our short time in the passing of time holds meaning. And it's, you know, death is such a teacher for us. Mm -hmm. Ramdas shared that he loved working in hospices, visiting people in hospices, because that's the moment where people really live. Yeah. <laughs> and it's not to say that, but sometimes that's what it takes. And if you look at some of the great leaders of consciousness or coaches in the world, a lot of people have these like near-death experiences, which helps them do that 180 and then come into living their life mm -hmm. in the fullest. Mm -hmm. And I feel grateful that, that I had that opportunity, you know? Yeah. My father's passing, in a way, saved my life. Wow. I mean, that's a, definitely a micro-off statement. <laughs> Yeah. To, to even be able to recognize that. I mean, it's, it, it's huge. And I think so many of us, you know, either we take it for granted or we're stuck on the, you know, the woulda, shoulda, coulda, and we're not really present or presenting to that moment. And I share so much resonance with that, having, you know, gone through my own losses. And when you were sharing in your story around being able to even connect and introduce your, you know, the spirit of your dad to, you know, to Chu, I think it reminded me of one of the most pivotal times and actually my, my first and only sit for three days with Aya. And I think some of you have heard this on the podcast before, but that was the first time that I like had reconnected with the souls of my mom, dad, and brother. And so for you to say that through ceremony that you're able to usher people, you know, not that everyone's going to, you know, <laughs> go to ceremonia and do that. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. But I think there's definitely something to, because I've spoken to other people who've used that as a kind of modality for healing after grief, after loss. And I know that for me, that was such a profound experience because in those three days, there was definitely a shedding. But the last final day, I, like, it was like my, my mom, my dad, my brother, we were like partying it up. We were all wearing white. And it was as if they were celebrating this mm. next 
chapter for me. And it was so pivotal because a week later, I put my dental practice for sale. Wow. I mean, it was, it's, it was so pivotal. It's still probably the most pivotal. And I, I, you know, I have obviously selectively share that only, and this is so appropriate because it's literally the work that you do. And, and that single-handedly fully shifted my trajectory, the way that I have such reverence for the plant, because I think many times, you know, either people don't want to talk about it because it's overused and it's not used with the right practitioners. And I think many times, you know, I've heard, and and I kind of want to get your opinion on this, the, you know, the sober transformation, you know, without the use of psychedelics, because you can get there through other means. And I'm, I think, yes, and, um, but I'd love to hear what your perspective is on that. And I think that as this is becoming so much more mainstream, you know, these are the tools that can really profoundly deepen our sense of transformation and healing with our the closest people to us, our caretakers, our elders. And I just wanted to acknowledge, you know, some of the even points that you made around death being a teacher, because yeah, for the longest time, that was such a, a big, you know, thing in my life, which is why I think for a lot of us, brave uh, death can really teach bravery. To be like, well, Absolutely. you only have tomorrow, maybe. Yeah. But what can you do today? So let's dive into what are your thoughts around when, you know, the difference between how you lead in your incredible, beautiful space that you take so many incredible people from change makers, leaders, leaders of organizations, I mean, the top echelon of folks through everyday folks at your massive center outside of Denver. Yeah. So first, I just want to thank you for for sharing your vulnerability. I know that's part and parcel your persona, and it does take a great deal of bravery to share what you've just shared. Mm. So thank you for that. Thanks, so the organization that my wife and I started called Ceremonia, it's a nonprofit, non-denominational church in Denver, Colorado, which where we serve psilocybin and ayahuasca plant medicines that as sacraments, because we have a belief that these are sacred. They're given to us as an accelerant to help us manifest this divinity and higher self within. What we facilitate and what we believe in is that all the modern tools are applicable in this path of spirituality. For example, psychology, the etymology of it in the 16th century comes from the study of the soul. It's synonymous with that. And the first psychologists were all Catholic priests. And somewhere down the line, psychology in its pursuit of science got separated from spirituality. And now in what we're in what's called the third wave of psychology, which is around mindfulness and the integrated self of mind, body, spirit, that there is finally a rekindling of this understanding that the end point of psychology is the beginning point of spirituality, Mm. right? One of the foundational works that we rely upon from psychology is called internal family systems. Have you heard of it? Mm -hmm. IFS shares that we're all made up of these parts that each have a personality. A part might get triggered, that's an angry part. A part that might get triggered, that's a guilty part a shameful part, so on and so forth. And a person may be made up of a hundred parts that blend together. 
And it's when an angry part and a joyful part and a guilty part are all blended that we can feel crazy, right? And IFS shares that when these parts become, when we have the ability to unblend them and honor each one for the, because they're trying to protect us, then the self with a capital S shines forth. And that self has a felt sense of God, of divinity. So naturally as a spiritual organization um, and working with a lot of type A individuals, we've developed kind of a vocabulary and a framework for working with people in the modern world. And I like to share that, you know, words, vocabulary, are frameworks. I've got a friend that says, every framework is insufficient, but they're useful for communication. And we use a word like God, and that conveys an idea. Now, the idea might be different for everybody, mm. right? It might be a bearded white man in the clouds for one person, a many-armed statue for another, a fat, happy Asian for others. <laughs> but it's the ideas that try to convey feelings. And when we have a feeling of that spirituality, right, that mm. is something that is really shared by everybody, no matter what name their God has. And then ultimately, feelings attempt to convey energy. Mm. And the energy of God, of spirituality, is something that is the same for everybody, which is a felt sense of the ineffable. It's a felt sense of something bigger, more expansive, of great peace and love and joy. Mm. And so, what we aim to do in Ceremonia is to help people pursue the felt sense without the dogma, without the labels, without the religion, and just get into the felt sense of the energy of what it's like to peel back the layers of the onion of our protectors and be with our highest self, which allows us to be with everyone else's highest selves and with whatever is out there in divinity. Mm. Oh, wow. As you all are obviously building this congregation right outside of Denver, Colorado, I'm even envisioning that this can be something that can, you know, be so broad and even global at one point, because I think for so many of us, and, you know, I, I know that for the Brave Table fam, you come here to really have a sense of that solace. Like, where can we go to feel that, you know, that feeling of spirituality? And I loved, I just loved how you and your wife have been so thoughtful and in so intentional in what kinds of, you know, learnings that you're going to be infusing in there. And I think so many of us have this idea, especially in our upbringing, and I talk about this a lot as well, around, yeah, what parts were validated or were validating for us growing up and what parts had to either be diminished or, you know, dimmed because they weren't fully accepted. And I love that, you know, you're teaching IFS here as well. And if I were to, you know, even in our age growing up, that was definitely not the case. And so I feel like now using this like full 360 approach to diving in, I think it's just, it's so powerful. It's so, so powerful. So take us through now some of the immersions and 
kind of to my point before on how, you know, I would love to get your perspective or your thoughts around how sometimes people think that, okay, we can achieve, you know, all of this when people are going into a transformation and healing journey without the use of psychedelics. We also know how powerful these plants are and is it for everybody and who should be taking that path? And maybe they're hearing this here for the first time or because it's become more mainstream, they're like, I want to jump on that. <laughs> because you view it as such a sacrament. And when we're talking about something sacred that has divinity, you know, I guess... Let's explain that because I feel like there's such a reverence there versus those doing it for biohacking purposes and because it's like the new latest trend. Hmm. Hmm. So I look at an alignment between the science, the psychology, and the spirituality of this work. May I share each element? Yeah, please. So the science of it is very interesting. The Imperial College of London Center for Psychedelic Studies I think it was in 2016, put advanced meditators, those on psychedelics, and separately children into fMRI scans, right? And discovered that two parts of the brain called the default mode network were temporarily quieted. Now, the default mode network is the patterning or programming center of the brain. A pattern might be, as a kid, I touch this hot pan, I get burned, and so I learn not to do that in the future. But another pattern might be, my parents got divorced, don't give my heart fully to somebody because they might leave me, right? That's a very complex pattern. And as we grow older, the DMN, those two centers of the brain, it, it gets more and more active. But on psychedelics, there is a congruence between the advanced meditators who had 30,000 plus hours of meditation which is a lot. <laughs> you got to be doing that like on a mountain somewhere. Yeah, they definitely had shaped heads. <laughs> and the psychedelics and children all had quieted DMNs, default mode networks, which means that the patterns, the protective layers were temporarily quieted. So what the psychedelic experience does at a neurological level is it allows us to be with our content, our feelings, our emotions, our stories, without the protective filters. So imagine being able to take off a prismatic lens or a sunglass and look at life with clarity and vision. And what could you see in that, right? So that's the science of it. Mm -hmm. Psychologically, what happens is the primary determinant of the psychedelic experience is efficacy and harm reduction is the feeling of safety mm -hmm. and some of the listeners may have heard of set and setting, which is mindset and setting. This is effectively your inner sense of safety, which is your mindset. Mm -hmm. How safe do you feel being with your own content, with being with what is, of re-experiencing trauma and choosing a different outcome? And your setting, which is the environment. Do you feel warm? Are there predators around? Do you feel you know, comfortable and safe with the people around you? Mm -hmm. Right? Now, all of life seeks safety. Life seeks to create life, mm. right? And in order to do so, it needs safety. There's this psychologist named Plechik who created this beautiful emotional wheel. Mm -hmm. And he says that, so he charted like the primary emotions of happiness, mm. sadness, so on and so forth. And then secondary, he says that love is equal to safety plus joy. Mm. Think about that for a moment. 
Love is equal to safety plus joy. We can only feel love so long as we feel safe. Right? Mm. What the psychedelic experience helps us do is within the context of safety, allows us to penetrate layers that have been hidden away because we didn't feel safe to approach them. Yeah. So in pursuit of wholeness, we're able to integrate more of ourselves and live a fuller life. Like me, like I, I didn't have access to my memories because my mind subconsciously didn't feel safe to access it. Afterwards, I was able to integrate all those memories back into myself to gain an appreciation even for that trauma because it led me to the man that I am today, which led me to live a level of joy and peacefulness that I didn't even know was possible before. Mm. So that's psychologically. And then spiritually, what plant medicines can help do is it can help us provide a compass for what's possible. Mm. So the studies show from John Hopkins and Harvard that 70% of those that go under psychedelic-assisted psychotherapy say that it's the most transformative experience of their lives. 70%. Wow, yeah. And the definition of that is akin to the birth of a first child or a death of a parent. Mm. So you've had children and you know how transformative that experience is, right? Mm. And you yourself had a transformation with the power of plant medicines. In our program, about 95% say it's the most transformative experience of their lives. Mm. Now, what this does is we can't, we shouldn't take psychedelics every day, you know? And of course, some people microdose and that's okay. But what it does do is that it gives us a compass to say what's possible so that we can start aiming the direction, the orientation of our energy in our lives towards this end of peacefulness, of joy, of love, of forgiveness mm. that may have felt impossible yeah. without it. Yeah. Wow. What a beautiful explanation. I feel like there's so much of the, you know, when we're thinking about psychedelics and how it actually cuts through so much of the noise and when done and what you're sharing in such a safe container, which is what I'm imagining ceremonia is. And you've taken all of these different facets to create such a beautiful experience. It's no wonder there's 95% of people saying that it's the most transformative mm. experience of their life. And so then what have you seen? Because you've worked with so many high-profile people, leaders, heads of organizations, executives, everyday humans that are coming to you for this. I mean, tell us a little bit more about what makes Ceremonia so different. Because it's I've, obviously it's the first that I've heard being you know non-denominational and a nonprofit and existing as a whole entity in a live, beautiful, you know, setting of ceremony. So take us through what makes you guys different and how can one start the process? Mm, thank you for asking. So in this work, first of all, psychedelics was banned in 1967. And before that, it was the most studied tool of psychology considered a revolution. Over mm -hmm. 100,000 participants over 1,000 studies. Wow. In the 50s and 60s. All of that was lost. 
until very recently. And now MDMA and psilocybin are in FDA clinical trials phase three, likely to be legalized next year or the year after, which is huge, huge. federally, right? And in 2019, ketamine treatment was legalized. Mm. So there is this upcoming wave of psychedelic treatment. It's entering the mainstream, right? So I just wanted to presence that. Now, there are two paradigms in this work, the very shamanistic or medical, right? Shamanistic comes from indigenous wisdom, from usually from South America. The ayahuasca tradition usually follows that, conveys that there are spirits of the medicine that help usher us into our own healing and whatnot. Then there's the medical model, which is often applied with MDMA or ketamine treatment, that is like literally right now, any doctor can open a ketamine clinic without any sort of psychotherapy training, right? right? And much of that follows the model of, I guess you could say the Western or American model of take a pill and you're solved, which I don't believe to be the case, right? Mm -hmm. And the research shows it's not the case. We're at the fusion of respecting the indigenous and ancient wisdom over thousands of years of carrying this medicine, as well as being informed by modern modalities of psychotherapy, of psychodrama, of psychospirituality, right? And I like to think of it as content versus process. On one of our recent journeys, we had a world-renowned psychologist come, who's one of the top IFS trainers in the world, and he helped share and clarify this. Usually when you go to therapy or coaching or even ceremony with a psychedelic or plant medicine, there are experts to help you hold your content, the emotions, the beliefs, the stories that come up. Super valuable. In addition to that, what we do is we host workshops and facilitate tools that people can hold their own content. Mm. So we're teaching them a process by which they can feel safe in themselves to surface whatever's underneath. They can then use that in the psychedelic experience Mm. in identifying where they are, discerning where they are, and then transmuting the lower energies of shame, guilt, anger, grief into the higher energies of courage, bravery, of acceptance, of trust, of peace and love and joy and gratitude Mm. through these tools. Mm. Now, I think of the psychedelic experience as a microcosm for life. It's often referred to as like 10 years of therapy compressed into 10 hours, right? (laughs) I know you've experienced that, right? (laughs) It's a lot. lot. (laughs) And so imagine the value of having tools that you can then navigate that extraordinary experience and imagine the empowerment that you might feel navigating that in your own mind and then bringing that back into life. Because life is also going to throw at you so many challenges that you can then integrate back in. Mm. And so we have facilitation that sort of gives people that sense of their own self-empowerment, that own Mm. sense of safety, which allows them to penetrate deeper into their soul. Wow. You're just blowing my mind away here with all of this. I'm like, I want to come. <laughs> I want to come. I, I want to do. do a whole like little, you know, Brave Table setup and we'll go to Ceremonia. Please. I think Brave Table fam, I think you guys would really enjoy that. <laughs> so for those who are ready for this journey, before we get into our igniting round of questions, where can people 
find you, connect with you, really learn more about your deep wisdom because obviously you've had such an incredible journey and I want to really honor how you started, where you came from. And it's no wonder you are the foremost person that I want to learn from, that I'm so just like enamored by in this light that you've been able to really pour into this next evolution for yourself and with your wife and really bringing that presence. And what I loved about what you said, the duality, the the intersection, the merging of, you know, science and ancient wisdom. I think it's so powerful. So where can we learn more? Hmm. First, I'm, I'm so grateful for you. I feel like I learned so much from you too, Anita. Mm. And your wonderful book, <laughs> and Flying Forward. <laughs> yes. Our website is at ceremoniacircle.org. So that's C-E-R-E-M-O-N-I-A, circle.org. And our Instagram is the same, Ceremonia Circle. Ceremonia as in the Latin or Spanish spelling. Well, and you really thought about all of the nooks and crannies of this beautiful space because it is so state-of-the-art. It is so massive. It's so beautiful. It is the place where you definitely want to go and be nourished and cared for and have that transformation. I'd say, you know, there's lots of options out there. Uh, most are underground. We're one of the few public venues in the United States. But ultimately, you know, I think what's most important for the listener is that they feel an attunement to trust their intuition of who they select to facilitate and guide them through this extraordinary process. And ultimately, you know, what we believe in and what we attempt to facilitate is to get people to have that inner attunement, inner sense of listening to their inner voice. Mm. And so exercise that initially in who they decide to go with. Yeah. And, well, and I feel like you have so many uh, people on your team that could probably answer a lot of those questions hmm, as well. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So as we get into our little igniting round, what does it mean to be brave in this stage and season of life? <laughs> Surrender. <laughs> it's interesting seeing the word surrender go from spirituality to psychology because now this idea of letting go and surrender seems to have penetrated from the top down. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm working on surrendering more and more of my beliefs, my expectations, my life. Mm, I love it. All right. And we end with you pulling one of the cards. You can do an affirmation card since we were an affirmation card. Talking Which one is about this? Spirituality. Yeah, that one. This one. Yep. You picked it. These are so cute. Oh, thanks. <laughs> and they, they match your clothing. <laughs> is that by design? It's obviously, it's obviously on brand. <laughs> oh, I love you so much. <laughs> Everything is always working out for my greatest good. Even when it doesn't feel that way, I am aligning with what is meant for me, even when it means closing doors on things that no longer serve me. Wow. That was fitting. Yeah. That was very fitting. What's the action? The action is go for a walk, leave your headphones at home, pay attention to the sights and sounds around you to stay present. Notice the things you come across and how they might align with your experience. Beautiful. And as we end, one word that describes you and this stage of life. Grateful. Thank you so much for being here, love. What a pleasure. What an honor. And Thank you. This has been beautiful. Oh, gosh. I'll bring you back on again. Until <laughs> next time. 
on The Brave Table. Welcome back to the other side. I just knew that you were going to love Austin Mao. Well, if you want to follow Austin on IG, he is Austin Mao. And if you want to get connected with Ceremonia Circle, again, their facility is absolutely stunning. It is gorgeous. I think that what they are doing over there and the work that they are doing and the amount of reverence and respect that they have for the medicines and the work is just so healing and on such a high vibe. I highly, highly recommend checking it out and checking out any and all of their offerings from retreats, from also facilitator training, and so much more at Ceremonia Circle. That's C-E-R-E-M-O-N-I-A Circle. And if you love this episode and you want to go deeper, maybe into plant medicine or psychedelics, and if it's right for you, press repeat on episode 145, How to Embrace and Accept All Parts of Yourself with Myself. And episode 1110, Finding Freedom and Healing Through Psychedelics with the one and only Deanne Adamson. She is brilliant and you will get so much out of her. And check out episode 44 with the power of plant medicine, healing from painful loss and transitions with Joe Rivas. That is a powerful one. Be prepared to maybe shed some tears there. All right. So without further ado, this is capping this week on The Brave Table. If you love this episode, please give it a shout. Five-star review on Apple iTunes. We are so, so grateful for your reviews as always. And when you screenshot your review, I will go ahead and give you my free gift. So all you have to do is send your screenshot to support at globalgrit.co. That's support at globalgrit.co. Now I will see you next time. Don't forget to be just a little bit more brave.